This is the Philly Soccer Show. I'm KLW News Radio's Greg Rolandini, the Philly Soccer Page writer, Mike Cervetio. We wrap up the union season with Delta Times beat writer, Matt DeJewers. We are back after some scheduling issues that have kept us from the the podcasting universe, but we are back just in time to tell you that the Philadelphia Union season is over. Who could have seen it coming? Who could have seen it coming? And, you know, it, it it was a strange season in a lot of ways, and it promised more than I think any season has for, for, I think, good reasons. I mean, I think there's... Things you can look at that point it to there being a lot of promise to this season. And ultimately, a lot of things were in the team's hands, and they just had to go out there and win games. And and some really big spots, they didn't do that. Um, so I'll throw it to you guys. I got I got Matt DeGeorge. I got Mike Cervetio. Let's wrap this thing up. Let's wrap the season up. Where, where, where do you start? I mean... I, I think you're right. I mean, it, there's a, it's a season with a lot of promise that mm-hmm. I think it, it leaves a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth with the way that it ended. Uh, I think the the home loss to the Red Bulls, what, what, even where a tie would have even gotten you a, a playoff game, was really rough because they actually played well in that game. And I think that, that one almost in, encapsulates a lot of what the season was about, where it was they played the right game, they had a good strategy going in, and they didn't come away with the result. So... I, it, it's it's tough. I I, I think, and, and to crash out the way that you did losing twice in a row to New York on the the, the little kid pitch, <laughs> is 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 always is always going to leave that bad taste. Yeah, but at the same time, they you know New York had to play on the same little kid pitch too. Yeah. So I I think but they play on that seventeen times a year, fourteen times a year, yeah. or, 14 yeah, times but, a year or whatever. But still, I, you had two days to you had a week to kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. Figure it out. Games change, rules change, good players adapt. I think that we're kind of in the same boat a little bit as a 2016 season where when you really look back, does it feel like the Union are in the postseason Mm. all that much? I mean, this time they have a little bit of a longer horizon because they clinched uh, early against Minnesota, so you had time to talk about and think about this team as a playoff team. But still, the first weekend of the playoffs have – Come and gone, and the union weren't part of them. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of feels like they were barely even there. And the most disturbing thing to me about the season, and you know, it's a long season, and it's tough to boil them down, boil it down to the three games. But you look at the Cup final, you look at the away game at New York, and you look at the the, the playoff game at NYCFC. They look like the same game, where. You give up three goals in each. You gave up three goals in each. You give up a, a, you a concede, wicked early goal in each. Yeah, you concede early within the first ten minutes. You had own goals in two of them. Own goals in two of them. And you're never in, at any point in the game, even even after you score a goal. I think maybe in a cup game you can make the point they scored goal in the, in the second half and got them a little closer, but they never late. got. But it was, but yeah, but they never got that much. You know, that much closer. It, it, it's just. It's really disturbing that three of the biggest games of your year, okay, they're all on the road. They're big games for the other team, too. I get that. They're going to play. They're going to get up. But those three games, you have almost the exact same response to each three games where where you just show 
kind of this fragile state. Yeah, and and the perspective of, of someone having been in the press box for each of those three games in person is that uh, I don't remember a lot from the second half of either of either of those three games because mm-hmm. the game was over. Yeah. In each case, the game was over and uh, after forty five minutes, and I was just at basically in a point of like tidying up my running game story at halftime of, of each one of the games. Right. Like you were like it was a couple details about the second half, but you know the 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 game had been decided by halftime, and that. That doesn't feel good, right. I don't think, for the union. You know that, that that's not a that's not a good thing to have happen in your biggest games of the season. And I I think it it even extends beyond those three games because I I, I do unfortunately think that this this culture of what the union has become has just stuck around and it just it lingers. And yeah. even on a season like this where it's it's been a pretty positive season, the team has played some really good soccer. There's 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 a culture of losing, and it, it just it it sticks. And I, I, I don't know what what to do at this point. I mean, I, I think the Twitterverse has some some answers that I've, that <laughs> yeah. I've seen. And, 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 you know, and I've wrestled with that idea, and I don't know what the vector for that is because none of these guys were here in 2011 yeah. when Peter Novak was at the – this is before my <laughs> union beat writing time. I mean – wasn't that the was that the Stephanie Migliorazzi? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, thrown out three five two yeah, for the first time I, ever. And, I mean, know. so there's not that's not the same. And you know that 2014 Union team was led by Moadu, who's not here anymore. And the 2015 team was led by Tranquillo Barnetta, who's not here anymore. Right. And this team is you know there's different leaders and there's different players, and you can't. Blame. I mean, Curtin's 0 for 5 in games of consequence, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So you can't blame him for those first two. So I'm not really sure what the vector is that's still carrying that over from year to year. But it's there. I mean, at some point, at some point, I wrote this in in one of the uh, rather heated columns that I wrote at some at one you of write those heated columns. Well, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Once in a while, Crazy. one of the one of those mind numbing trips up and down the Jersey Turnpike, but. At some point, you have to win games that matter. Like this is why mm-hmm. this is why we're doing this, right? I mean, the stated goal of this club is to win, is to first win games and to then make playoffs. And I would assume that once you get to the playoffs, the goal is to win Keep games going. in the playoffs. Keep going, yeah. or to win trophies. I think that and, might and, be- and 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 you're not having any results in any of those games. That's that's a problem. I think that the goals are a little bit of a problem. Um, and I'm not talking soccer goals. The goals of the club, because. I think everybody looks at the union and they they look at the stated goals before the season and they'll go and everyone says they'll be lucky to make the playoffs and that'll be a good season if they if they scrape in. Mm-hmm. Whereas even when the team was playing really well uh, in the summer and into the early fall, the stated goal never really changed. It never felt like there was a, a push to be like, well maybe there there could be cup contenders. Maybe they could get in there and, and cause some 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 noise. But. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I think it was to get in and get into that knockout, or even mm-hmm. get into, you know, get and get into the knockout game and maybe win that game, and hopefully host it. But, but I think just the reality was there was always a talent separation once you got past that. But I mean, right? But the, but there's a talent. I, I think the goal did change a little bit into that we want to be the three seed. But I think that goal was. Was a goal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It should have been a means to an end. But right. I think that goal was: we want to be the three seed. That way, we can have an, we can have a home game, and that way, there's a greater chance of something weird happening where we can maybe, right. you know, be 
beat a team. But, you know, okay, yeah, the talent argument. LAFC is way more talented than, than mm. Real Salt Lake. And Real Salt Lake hadn't won a, a playoff game in five years. But they find a way. Right, you gotta and, be so, you gotta be in it. I wonder, yeah, how, did, point, how did we also like save all those galassos for the playoffs? I, that was ridiculous. That, <laughs> that Demir Krylak goal I watched. Oh, so I, I actually I was watching that in my house. Is there a way I, to I, save them? Because the I union actually, should save them. I actually yelled at that point. I was like, whoa, st-. I, I actually yelled, stop that. Like it was ridiculous <laughs> that goal. But uh, the point is, I mean, they they had, had a culture of not winning. They had had a culture of struggling. They're a young team. Mm-hmm. But they go into a team they go into LAFC in a very hostile environment in a game that has to be stopped because the fans are throwing stuff on the field, and they go and they get a result. And at some point, if you're the union, like, what does it take to get that result? Is it I mean, luck? Yeah. Is it? Is it? Uh, I don't think a little luck would hurt. But, <laughs> luck would be nice. It never but, feels like it comes. But that. But if we if we knew a way to f- manufacture luck, then we'd be doing something. Be- then they, whoever that was in the club, would be working for a club that has way more money. Right. Yeah. If they could figure out that way, it, so then so then kind of what. What is it that they're necessarily after in games? And and it's and every argument you can make that this was a successful year, you can make a counter argument to like most most points ever in a season. It was only good enough for sixth place. Made it into the playoffs, just were complete not factor and get blown out. Get to the cup final, you know, you take a bagel again. You're over three now in cup finals. So every argument you can make, you, you can easily say, yeah, but. About this season. Yeah, and, and the good arguments are arguments against the past standard of the franchise, which, as we have established, is one of the lowest standards in MLS history, including several franchises that no longer exist. So <laughs> we can almost throw those kind of out. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something great to be said about being your best self and being better than you were the day before, and that's great in your personal growth, but, but when, yeah. you know— that doesn't necessarily. And look, we tried our hardest. Doesn't really well, sell and, all and that let's much. Let's step back and look at MLS. It's progressing quicker every year. It is, and I, every look, year you feel like the union's not on that same trajectory no, as I, the rest of the league. I think the union this year they they keep building teams that would have been great a year ago. Yeah, and you look at and you look at the price of what it takes. You know, they got thoroughly outclassed twice in a row by NYC, who then in turn gets made to look pretty inferior at the hands of Atlanta last week. Mm-hmm. And that's an Atlanta team that uh, Vialba's still coming back from injury. Almiron's still coming back from injury. They're still kind of figuring things out. And they had no problem with the small pitch. Right. And obviously I, there's still that clear gulf in, in talent. So I, I wonder if, uh, Mike, to your point about what, what that losing mentality is, it seems like a lot of times they go into these games – these, these big games, thinking, well, maybe we can steal this. Yeah. You know, knowing that they're at a disadvantage and, uh, you know, you know, lining up one team with their muskets and the union yeah. with whatever I mean, does, it is. The, I think you hit it. I was just about to say it. I mean, it comes from the top. When your owner is saying we can't line up the same way the other teams can line up, you can't tell me that mentality doesn't trickle down. To the, trickle down. No, I think it absolutely does. And it trickles down, I it trickles down to a lack of, uh, I think, accountability sometimes, which, and I'm sure we'll get to Jim Curtin's job status at some point, but he's managed 150 games in MLS and hasn't won a playoff game. There is no manager in MLS history who has that kind of record. There's mm-hmm. none that are even particularly yeah. close. Jeff Kassar had 103 before he got axed right. at a time when a lot of people thought Jim Curtin should have been axed at the beginning of the 2017 season. Right. But, yeah, Mike... <laughs> I know, before I cut you off so terribly, but 
I, I think I lost my thought. Okay, he'll come back to you. That's all right. All right, let, let, let's you know, let's let's rip the bandaid off. Let's talk about Jim. Yeah, I mean, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, and I've talked to to some people in person, and I've I've seen everybody's tweets about it, and I, the the argument I think is is almost split fifty fifty between I think people that are saying you know this was his most successful season that it felt like he had. Uh, progressed a little bit as a coach. Um, there's always the arguments of, you know, if you if you if you do let the coach go, do you have someone lined up that's better? Um, and I, I, all of those are valid. What I what I come back to is what I said before, though, is that the, the mentality around this club needs to change. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think that that's that's the tough part for me to 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 try to convince myself that that Jim should come back next season is because. You can't replace all the players. You're you're seemingly not getting rid of Jay Sugarman. He's not going to change the way he runs the club. You have a new sporting director. You have a club. You have a coach that's out of contract. If now's not the time to try something new, when, when exactly is it? I mean, is it is it going to be a slow start to the 2019 season where you're you know, oh four and two again, and having to do it then after an entire season of an entire preseason? I don't know. So I, I think. That's that's the thing that I really struggle with is, is if, if if you're not going to do it now, when are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would change just for change's sake. I think Jim Curtin has done enough with small enough amounts of resources here right. in Philadelphia mm-hmm. to deserve more than that. Yeah, and to just be cast aside as a as a placeholder. I think if Ernst Tanner has a guy who he believes is going to come in and has the replacement in mind and and knows in his heart that, okay, this is the guy who I think is going to lead this team to the next level, and he determines that Jim can't do that, then that's a different conversation to have. Uh, But at the same time, we look at, and I think most of the people who deal with Jim Curtin have nothing but great things to say about him as a person and as an individual and as an ambassador for a club uh, that because of its, how, how do we put this delicately, because of its diminished resources, yeah. have forced Jim Curtin to answer questions that someone far higher up the chain of command should have to answer for. Right. Um, but at the same time, because of the structure that Jay Sugarman has here and because of how shallow his pockets are compared to other owners in MLS, you need a coach with this project who is going to punch above his weight in the same way that – the union have to punch above their weight. And I think Jim Curtin has, at various junctures this year, gotten the team to punch above his weight, but I don't know that he, as a coach, necessarily has done that. You look at what Mike Pecky did, and I'm going to go back to RSL, and some of the buttons that he pushes in in LAFC. Granted, it takes two incredible goals to get them there, but he seemed to have that team hungry and he was just able to push the right buttons that day and maybe a way that's not easily quantifiable. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's been a lot of games where Jim Curtin has necessarily done that within a game. There have been games where his team has gone out and played like gangbusters, and he deserves certainly a lot of credit for that and the work that he does the five days during the week before the game. But I, I just think sometimes you need a guy who's going to maximize that game in and game out. Yeah. And it, I don't necessarily it, I mean, know that it's, that it's, that it's, is, it's a term. It's a term you don't you hear more in the NFL than you hear in soccer, but a game day coach. You know, I think you, I mean, I think you hit it pretty well. That Jim's probably those other six days, he's really 
good. And I think he motivates guys and gets them to work and practice and do all that. But it's that sometimes on game day, just being able to kind of move the pieces around. And and I, I think I'm torn. And I, I think it's easier to, I might, I think, hit it. It's, if you're going to do it, not, not going to do it now, where you could do it kind of no fuss, no muss, because he doesn't have a contract. You can just say, thank you for your service. We're going in a different direction instead of going through a preseason maybe tripping over yourself for the first six weeks and then doing it. And then bringing someone in right. during an unconventional window, not giving him a transfer market right. to bring his I mean, guys there, in. Then you're, then you're restarting a clock. You're going to have to wait for the summer to, to yeah. patch holes. Then you're going to have to wait for next January. And then all of a sudden, right. we've seen this happen yeah. twice before. You're a year and a half behind again. Yeah, you've seen this happen in 2012 and you saw it happen in 2014 that those years were write-offs, basically. Yeah. Uh, and you have to look at another year – I mean, two straight years where they did nothing in the midseason window. Nothing. I mean, that's, yeah, and that doesn't fall on Jim. Well, there's the legend of Casper Prisbilko. Absolutely. Which at this point remains a legend. Uh, he's actually doing he's a player. On, is he still in contract? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's doing yeah, he has an. I believe he has an option for next year. He has a player oh. appearance, like doing something tomorrow for the team. Really? Oh, yeah. He was, in somebody's, he was in somebody's, he was in one of the, he was in one of the players' uh, Instagram stories the other day, so it must be right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so you have that. And again, I mean, a lot of things that were not in his hands. And I, I think probably one the only the best argument I think I could come up for keeping Jim is you give some continuity to these younger guys that he's known for a while, that he does a pretty good job with. You give them a little continuity. And I, I, I think that's probably the best argument. But it's tough. Like you said, he's coached. 150 some games hasn't won a playoff game, and he's got to drag. And I feel bad for this. He's got to drag that 0 3 around his neck for the rest of his career mm-hmm. in the cup. I mean, that's that's you know. I, did I he mean, win it as a player? Uh, yes, he did with Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. he was. I think it was two and one in cups. As a, yeah, as a player I think I think both with Chicago. Yeah, and, and glad so, for him for that. <laughs> so he's got to, You know, that's something he's got to drag around for the rest of his career, and that, that's that's a bummer, and I, I feel bad for that. But the guy that had his back 1,000% doesn't work for the team anymore, Ernie Stewart. Ernst, Ernst Tanner, very, you know, very much his own guy, came here from a pretty successful program, you know, moved his life over here to work here. You would think he came here to do, to have a free hand and to do things, again, within the confines of what the union do, but to do things that he wants to do and he feels fit. And and the, the I think the contract thing is big. I think the fact that Jim is sitting there with no contract right now, in, in some ways, might make the decision for yeah, you. Yeah, and I think much like what we were saying is of, I think there is a difference between firing Jim because he's not good enough, mm-hmm. or, or firing Jim because you have someone better to come in versus firing him because he's not good enough. Mm-hmm. In the same way that those are separate distinctions, I think that the decision between firing him and not bringing him back. I think there's a little I, – I think there's – it's more than just semantics. I think mm-hmm. there's a difference. There. The thing I wonder about too is, you know, I mean, Urs Tanner has been around MLS for a couple of months now and mm-hmm. that's it. Um, and this might be one of the, the, the other arguments that you can make for keeping Jim is that Jim has been around MLS his entire career. Yeah. And as a coach, he's been around for, for a number of years now. And there there are not many coaches that do come to MLS from outside that, that do well. That – I mean, no. I don't. I don't. I mean, you you have to start hiring coaches from outside the league at some point, though. And, right. and 
I mean, you know, Tata. I mean, he's the best example. It is. Well, and I, mean, I think there's no, but but for every Tata, there's own coil. You know? But yeah. and you're also going right. to you're also going to get a, a, a steadier stream of players who played in MLS who are now going to go into mm-hmm. coaching. Obviously, the hot coaching talk, uh, the hot coaching commodity is Guillermo Berescolotto, mm-hmm. who's, uh, you know, I'd be shocked if he doesn't end up with one of these MLS clubs, either Atlanta or Columbus, right. if Greg Berhalter takes a job that he apparently was already given months ago in the media. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it's got to be him. We'll, right? get to that, we'll get to that whole situation uh, at some there. point. But yeah. But and I think that one thing about Ernst Tanner, and I'll be honest, is that I, I've I've had conversations with Ernst, and I don't think I really have a good read on how he operates um, just quite yet. Mm-hmm. But I, I think one thing from the way that he talks is that he wants to have a high-pressure style like what the Red Bulls in New York and what the Red Bull organization mm-hmm. worldwide does. And the entire that entire system is predicated on effort compensating for smaller budgets and conversely less talent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Jim Curtin has done well. Has he done it well enough, though? I don't know. I think what the union need in order to be successful is what Columbus has, which is a coach in Greg Berhalter that is better than most of his peers. And I think the union this year have kind of shifted the balance of where they have guys at positions that are better than most of their peers Mm league-wide. Fafa Pico is a top half of the league winger. Uh, Boric Dochkal was certainly a top half of the league chance creator, Austin Trusty at moments. Uh, I think Keegan Rosenberry played like it a lot. Andre Blake did. Alejandro Bedoya did. I think – I don't know that Jim – I don't know if Jim Curtin is a top half of the league coach mm-hmm. just quite yet. I, I think that maybe that's us getting too tunnel visioned on him and not realizing that – I mean it's true. I mean – they, they I mean, they're finished in the bad, top half of the league. Well, there are some. They've bad, never finished in the top half of the right, league, right? But they also have the, a bottom third of the league resources, so they are again punching above their weight. And I, 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 I find it interesting that the conversation that a lot of us in the Philly Union beat writer core have had for a lot of years with Jim Curtin is, well, wait till he gets the resources and then mm-hmm. let's see what he's going to do. Forgetting the fact that. <laughs> this might be all the resources that he's going yeah, to get. Yeah, it's never going to happen. And that might be a fool's errand because he's, you know, whoever's going to lead the union to any kind of success is going to have to do it we, with we have to be the shoestring too, budget that we, is here. We, 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 we want to see more players come in yeah. at a high caliber. I mean, are we, We're are watching we looking, all the games too. <laughs> and I, I got in, uh, not into it, but I got into this conversation on, on Twitter with some, some fans. And are we looking at a structural issue with the league where you have the salary cap but you don't have any kind of cap on transfer money, and but you're making it tough for yourself. Because, like, like I said, kind of said on Twitter, is do you go to Art Blank and say, "Hey, it's great you're putting seventy two thousand people in your stadium. We want you to change how you do that though, to help these teams." Are, are he's going to say, "Well, no. I mean, I, I'll work within this structure, but you, you know, I, I bought into this team." Using my own, to use my own money to get players, how I pay them and all that. But I have, you know, if I have to tr- pay transfer fees, I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm or NYCFC or or LAFC or Gal or the Galaxy. They can pay the transfer fees. And, and certainly, I don't, I don't foresee a, a future where you're asking people like Arthur Blank to right. do that. You're there's a future where you're asking Jay Sugarman to step that right. up. Yeah, because that's that's the thing. Because that's what will drive the league. All I mean, you know. They, Garber wants the league to be 
talked about in the same hemisphere as the other big leagues. Whether it happens or not, it's another story. But although if yeah. if we want to talk about those other the leagues in that other hemi- in that other universe, yeah, there are teams in that league that know that life's never going to get any better than seventh place. Oh yeah, oh, for know? sure. Everton knows that it's never going to get any better than. I refer Reading. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> no, I know. Twenty first in the championship. Well, I'm not. Well, yes, I know. But we're not talking about promotion or relegation necessarily. We are talking about a sustained yeah. level of mediocrity, mm-hmm. where you know, where in kind of a perverse way, the next time that Everton's going to probably be in some kind of an interesting fight late in the season is going to either be for relegation or the year later when they're trying to win the championship. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of where the union are. Yeah. And, I, you know, there's no there's no economic imperative necessarily in Europe for, you know, Barcelona to make sure that Villarreal is no longer hovering between four and ten right. in, in La Liga. It's just the way that it is. Yeah. And I think that that's kind mm-hmm. of maybe that's an existential question that the union have to answer is, are we content with that? And to try and poach a an open cup win every five or so years, are we good with being, you know. Oh boy, uh, <laughs> the Wigan of—I think we've used that before. Mm. Um, sure, Derby I mean, County's on the rise. I mean, they—you know—they had the the jerseys that kind of looked like Wigan a couple of years ago. The the, the light blue yeah, ones—they yeah. were kind of Wigan. Those were very Wiganish. Not enough stripes. I don't. No, think. No, no, not, not too stripey. But yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's going to be. It is an existential question for for this ownership, and how long this ownership sticks around and wants to. Yeah. Oh, they're sticking around. I mean, their their investment their their investment goes up every day. Mm-hmm. Their investment every every day. Their investment went up yesterday because Miami's got a stadium. Right. So that means that Beckham's going to get three more high profile owners how to many, join that how group. How many games did Jay Sugarman come to this year? Do you know? Uh, Jay is at. I think Jay is at many of the games. I yeah. see him. I, I mean, he doesn't. I do. I, I, I he kind of comes out. I certainly wouldn't. How many paint. times did he talk to the press this year? Once. Uh, once twice. or twice. Yeah. Twice. Uh, I think, uh, no, a little bit more than that. I think when Ernie stepped down, yeah. I spoke to him. Yeah. Um, oh, I think I spoke to him here. in a parking lot outside of Altoona because that's my life. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, but as, he, as we look behind did he, did the curtain, he, did, did he not give you a ride on the chopper that day? He did not. Yeah. No. Oh, no. That, and I, I all was, that, pen, all I, that pen, pen money Dave gets. I was yeah. covering a game in 1878, so it was, kind of, <laughs> it was a long trip. Um, but yeah, that two, train, two or three times. But I don't think he's an absentee owner. I think he's very engaged and he's 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 trying to do this in a way that is i think he's trying to run the club in a way that's smarter than other owners <sighs> but it's sometimes there's some very bare economic realities that he runs well, up against well, it, that are just absolutely cause, non-negotiable because you can't you know you can't whiff on players when you're doing this and and they've whiffed on players i mean they whiffed yeah. on david Akam majorly they but all the, on, I forgot that David Akam was on the team. I actually, I, I'll be honest, I feel bad for dogging on David Akam this much because I think he was playing hurt for most yeah, of the year. Yeah, he, I, 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 I feel, I feel is difficult guilty to for that. But, but, but I would say that that does, that does shift the blame in this, in, in this instance um, from Akam to whoever didn't do their due diligence before shelling out $1.2 million. Right. But yeah, all and that. You, and you whiff on you know, his two goals notwithstanding, you whiff on Jay Simpson. Well, no, he had two goals. But he had the one in the Open Cup, but that was a penalty. No, no, he had the two, he had two goals in one game. two goals in, against Kansas City. He scored both of them. Oh, Jay Simpson. Jay oh, Simpson. I know we're talking about David No, 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 I'm no, not okay, talking about that. Okay, yeah, Jay Simpson. Had, and, of course. Yeah, Jay Simpson. Oh, do you think I would forget the magical moment that was Jay Simpson? <laughs> Jay Simpson pointed right at Matt DeGeorge when he, he scored. absolutely did. He, he, he was know, like, Matt, that's for you. Yeah, you know, his two goals notwithstanding, I mean, that was a major whiff because he was supposed to be your big signing. 
in yeah, 2016. $500,000, two seasons in a row And him for pointing three up goals. there, by the way, that's going to be the statue. <laughs> that's going to be the statue when they open Monument Stadium in uh, 2038 yeah. at Talon Energy Stadium just a year on right on the bluff just a year before the Delaware River reclaims it. <laughs> is that good? Is that, is yeah. it, it's going to be next to Peter Novak spanking someone? Right. No, just the flip-flop. Oh, the flip-flop. It's a large flip-flop that you can walk on. <laughs> Okay, this is kind of it's going off the rails. It's evolving. Yeah. Right, no, so I, you, can't, you, can't, I, you can't whiff on guys. You can't, you know, you right. can't do what you did with the goaltending situation. And at some point, though, at some point, though, the realization has to be that all of the crafty corner kick routines and all of the, you know, all, all of the extra possessions gleaned off a shot, off of throw-ins, that's not going to turn Fabian Herbers into Tito Vialba. Yeah. Never. No. No, in the happen. history of never is that going to happen. And there's a certain point at which, mm-hmm. you know, Jim Curtin can get everyone believing and playing together and pulling all in the right direction. But at some at some point, you're going to put your horses in the race right. and you've got plow horses and they've got, uh, you know, they've got thoroughbreds. But, but you just look at the structure of the team again. I mean, your defense, besides left back, which I think you, you know always needs work, was very good. I mean, you have this young defense and these up-and-coming center backs, and Keegan isn't a quote-unquote young guy as much anymore, but he's much more established now. You had probably one of the best midfields in the league. Mm, yeah, yeah, one okay. of. I'm not saying the best. I mean, you know, they're probably better than the sum of their parts, but you had, as you said, a top 10 uh, left winger. Your right wing situation was kind of platoon, so that was weird. But then you get the striker, and it's completely patchworked. Mm-hmm. And you're 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 banking on a guy, and I love Corey Burke, and I beat his drum all year, and I was glad he got an opportunity. But he's not the perfect player. He's if he was doing what he's doing now, and he was 22, you'd be kind of excited. He's 26, 27, so you're like, I, I mean, I think, it's nice, but it's I not think like strikers can bloom a little later. They can with the physicality, but you know, right? But. Do you bank? Do you bank everything you have? But the truth on, is, you, on can, you can do better than Corey Burke. Absolutely, even with the the finite amount of money that you have to spend on yeah. strikers. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I called for it all summer that that was the position that they were in need of, mm-hmm. and it wasn't the position in need of in the end. I mean, mm-hmm. Corey Burke's goals dried up at the end of the season. So what are uh what are well he did score in the last two games in NYC though. He, he yeah, but he for, so so then what what would be the the big needs? Uh, I wonder for both of you guys going into the off season. What are the? What, I still, I still think a striker. I, I think, yeah. I think Corey, Corey Burke. I would love to have back next season as a guy that is available in the seventieth minute because he's not a striker that people would want to see. Mm. He's a tough guy, or that you can play matchups with. Right. Yeah, or that you can play matchups right. with. Yeah, you can absolutely do that. You too. can send him in pre- on on a Wednesday to just beat the heck out of New England, yeah. Yeah. and then when you play a faster back line like, like you know, say Red Bulls on the weekend, mm-hmm. and you need a speedier, well, that, that, more that guy. cerebral guy. You need, you need yeah. a faster striker. Right. You, you need someone that can get in behind. Like David Akam. <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, I know. I know. Well, that's the frustrating thing. Is I think is that when, now, when, well, that now hangs over the offseason because know, you don't what, know. Yeah. What, do you, what do you do with David Akam? Do you I, assume I, that next year he's going to come back? And be the David Akam that averaged eleven goals per year for the first three seasons that he was in MLS, or or what do you do? I don't know if you can you can't bank on it. Uh, no, you can't assume it because even before kind of. But you have to bank on it because no, because uh, you're yeah. not. I mean, if you're the if you're the if you're Jay Sugarman, you're not going to have Fafa Pico and probably the ongoing attachment to Elsino, who's no longer a starter, 
and David Akam and then bring in an impact player on the wing. You're not going to have all those guys. Right. So you have to bank on one of them. Yeah, and I think well, you have to figure out what's going to happen with Dushkel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think from all the things that we see, he likes playing here. Mm-hmm. I don't ever got get the sense that he enjoyed being in China with his family. Oh no, I, I but yeah, I think. But do the union have the resources liked, to make him liked a permanent is a, player? Liked is a little strong. I don't get that Dushkel. He's a, he's a bit aloof. He is. I th- yeah, I think he was happy enough to be here. Sure. I, I think given the alternative, he seemed happyish, happyish yeah. here. Um. I mean, and, that, and that's a huge thing. I mean, if Dojkel is not available to to come back next year, you you lose the league leader at assists from your yeah. midfield. That is not an easy thing to no. replace. It took them two years to replace Tr- Tranquilo Barnetta when he left. It, right. Yeah, it, you I, cannot run the same system without a ten again. We know how that game goes. It goes. We spent all year watching it, and it's awful. And the bucket, yeah, no no more empty bucket. No. no. I think one thing that's interesting in this off season is. Uh, I would say that Harris Mendunjanin's last three performances were concerning. I, I th- but I, I kind of put that on the staff a little bit because there's no reason he should play as much as he plays. No, he, he shouldn't. He, he you, you, you missed a, a huge opportunity to give more minutes to Derek Jones over the, the whole season. You have Warren Creval, who is a professional soccer player by all, all. You know, I mean, he's he's a guy that will will show up and do his job when you put him on the field. Mm-hmm. Does he have a limited skill set? Yes, he does. But that's, well, that's okay. on you for expecting him to hit forty-yard balls. Yeah, he's not going to do it. Yeah. So I, I think I think, I, I think, I think they, you're right. I think he was exhausted by the end of the season. I, I, he's played a ton of soccer over the last two years, and he's on the wrong side of the. Like you know, he shouldn't have played West Coast games. I know he didn't play to one, but I mean, he shouldn't play like long. He shouldn't have played like long trips because he just he had no legs. He had no legs in the last couple games. Yeah. It was obvious, and, and, it's, and it's hard and to he, gauge his game against. NYCFC on that field. Yeah, that, and that field basically right, eliminates the, what he and does. He's not, you know, right, he's but not the, the thought process is that from a defensive perspective, it should be easier because he's got less ground to cover. Right. Right. But he's not that – I mean, admit, he admits that, that he's not that great a defender. Right, but he's playing in it. But, but then does that require a tactical rethink? Yes. If he's got, if he's got less <laughs> – you, you, you played with the whole well, year without a true six. But then, but then what is the t- – see, here's, here's where you kind of get backed into a corner. Like what is the tactical rethink then? I, I, I mean, that's is a, that's it a true? Question. Personally, I think that I think one of the big areas that they can upgrade is by getting. First of all, I am very enamored with the idea of a McKenzie trustee, Jack Elliott. Oh, uh, I know you said that on I Twitter. Ve- I, I like it. I am very enamored yeah. with that idea because like a, I think, like a three-five-two kind oh, of situation. Yeah. You yeah. could put you can plant Elliott in the middle. They distribute well. They're all because yeah. they're all athletes. They They're all, all really yeah. athletic. They can all bang bang long passes. You've got, uh, you've got a true left footer and trustee who can play on the left. You've got McKenzie with his speed. I think having Elliot behind him compensates a little bit for what is still his weakness in his game, which mm-hmm. is reading the game. Yeah. Um, but then, I don't think you can play. You can't play Harris as a six in front of a three back. No, I don't no. think that would go well. No, no, no. no so no. I think, so you I think would, you'd have to play. You'd have to play Jones. Then, or... But then the flip side is, is that do you play Jones or do you go out and get like a really good Diego Chara ish mm-hmm. dynamic number six? Because if you do that, what? then where does Jones go? How do you how do you work the Dochkal Bedoya Medujanin? Midfield trio with that because then that would be a, basically a diamond, and then you'd only have two forwards. Do you yeah. play really shallow, and do you do you move Pico up top? Do you, how, how does that work with your wings? I, well, I actually kind of think that three man midfield would work because they mm-hmm. naturally fan out anyway. Right. So, so I mean, I, I, my question is: Is there a tactical rethink if Jim is still here, and is there a tactical rethink if Jim is no longer here? I mean, is Ernst if Tanner going to be married here, to the four two three one? If Jim's still here, I don't think you see new tactics. Well, 
But those tactics came down from Ernie. Yeah, and Ernie's not here anymore. But see, here's the thing, though, is that those tactics came down from Ernie and permeate the entire system. Yeah. So is Ernst going to come in and say, okay, everybody in the system now plays a different – the 13s, no more 4-2-3-1. Like how do the mechanics of that work? I, I, I think is, that I I think is difficult. I mean it's a big question. And I mean, the other question is, is which question is answered first? Does the tactical rethink happen and then you make a decision on Curtin and decide whether or not Curtin – Say Ernst Tanner, and I have no evidence to back this up, but say Ernst Tanner reads my tweets and thinks that three five, that three five two that did George put together, genius. We're going to use that again. Completely hypothetical situation. That's all words. Very hypothetical situation that maybe happens. We don't know. There's no way of knowing. But say he does that and says, "Okay, is Jim Curtin my coach in the three five two? What's his kind of calculation there? Is it easier to fix the coach and bring in a coach who's going to be amenable to a three five two? Is it easier to look at the players and say we don't have the personnel to run this? How, how does that kind of work? And I think, I think the thing with Ernst, if there's one thing that I feel that I know something about with Ernst, I think he's a little bit more formation agnostic, mm-hmm. and that he's more worried about this is how we play. Not how we line up, but how we play. Right. And it, wa- it, it has to be a high-pressing style. It has to be this. And I think yeah, that he you can— you do it in a 4-4-2, you do it in a 3-5-2. And I think he can two, do that in yeah. a 4 in a four. You know, the right. Red Bulls play a 4-2-2-2 two, 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 pretty much. Um, sure. That's yeah. kind of that yeah. kind of lets them diffuse out a little bit. Um, but it's predicated on really dynamic central midfielders and Adams and Davis. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that develops. And I don't think we have yeah. answers to that. We should get some next week. When uh, we do some end of season media availability, but we'll see. Yeah, I do have a couple questions from our loyal listeners. Oh boy, uh, Mike is James. Ernst Tanner one of them? Yes, it is. Ah, yes, Ernst Tanner. No, uh, but but you know, somebody was using Ernst Tanner on Twitter last week, well, of and course, it was confusing the hell out of, of me. Of course, they were. I'm not that smart. Uh, so, loyal listener Mike James asks. He kind of we kind of covered his first part, but second part. Uh, you think with Ernie? Uh, with Ernst in charge as opposed to Ernie, we might see earlier moves by the union, or is that more on the financial situation? So you think you think Ernst is going to hit the ground run and pull some pull the trigger? Or are we going to see you know we're sweating if they're going to get Dutch Cal in before uh, before training camp? I think it's going to be really hard to leave it later than the way that Ernie and Jim have done it the last two seasons. <laughs> I uh, I don't know, and mm-hmm. I don't know that it matters. Okay, I think if Ernst has his guys that he wants to bring in. Then he's going to bring them in whenever they're whenever mm-hmm. they're available. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the hallmarks that Ernst Tanner has had in his po- yeah. in his past is finding guys from kind of out of the way niches. Right. And uh, so I don't know how that necessarily works. So, so it, they might leave it late, but it might be much less of a mad scramble, like which the Dutch Kell signing very much felt like. Yeah, I would I would hope that Ernst Tanner has the blueprint in his mind by now. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, he does. I don't think he has to, he's had to work on a lot of day-to-day, mm-hmm. I mean, torturous negotiations that I'm sure the Casper Prisbilko deal was. <laughs> um, I don't think he's had a ton of things to work on, like, I think I'm so glad you know how to say his name, yes, by the way. But that's yeah, the only he's reason been I, practicing that's all. the only reason I keep bringing him up. Don't <laughs> ask me to spell it. It's It, it auto-corrects on my, anytime I get, anytime I start a word, K-A-S, it just autocorrects it on my Microsoft Word, even though I think his name's KAC, uh, whatever. Um, I would hope that Ernst Tanner in his kind of information gathering phase kind of has some ideas of some people to target mm-hmm. and some places, yeah. you know, some rocks to look under. 
Uh, so I don't know how the dynamics of his first window are going to work out. Yeah. I don't think there was a a ton of consistency in the way that Ernie Stewart's windows worked out. There were some moves no, that were wasn't. done very early in the in, in yeah. the process, um, and some and I don't think there was a lot of correlation. I'm pretty sure the one year, um, uh, right? He signed. Did he sign Anderson, or was that before him? No, I think he, he signed. But or, I think yeah. he was done really early in January, yeah. Yeah. and that obviously bore huge fruits uh, for <laughs> Bethlehem Steel. And other attacks in USL. Um, so, you know, I don't think it matters when they come in one week or two right. weeks or anything okay. like that. And I think the union proved this year that what they did in August and September, I think there's ample uh, evidence right now in MLS that the first couple months of the season don't matter all that much. Mm-hmm. Paging DC. Mm-hmm. So. There you go. Uh, another question from uh, Twitter from a. User named Man On. Uh, what are some players outside the big names in MLS that you could bring in? I guess from within the league uh, that can make a difference of the, with the union. What will the union be looking for? As they aim to pick up players outside the obvious number ten and striker. I, I think. I think strikers is so paramount. I think you're not going to do anything in defense because you got the guy, you got the kids that you're moving through a left wing. I think Real just stumbled in in the preseason and was injured. And I, I you know, all things being equal, I, I think Jim would want. Yeah, I mean, he's down there captaining in the U twenties now. Right. I think that's. that's I great. think yeah, he would have. I, I think all things being equal, Jim would have wanted to play Real more. But it just, I just think his the, the player circumstances. See, this prevented is that. this is a, not to not to backslide back into the curtain thing, but if you bring curtain back, and last year he had the mandate from Ernie Stewart, which was you know as close to the word of God as you had in the union of we're going to play the young kids. Now, if you bring Curtin back and he's on thin ice from the beginning of the season, does he have the guts to go into the season and say, all right, Matt Real's my starting, mm-hmm. uh, my starting left back and him and Olivier and Bezo, that that's my left back pairing. Right. We're going to do what we did last year and we're going to go with youth and we're going to see what happens. Like, does he have the leeway to do that? Because I think that's a possibility for, mm-hmm. for your left back if you, if you, to, to, to go know. from within. I don't know. I mean, again, it's you know, we if it was Ernie was still here, yeah, he would have. Right. With Ernst, I don't know. But that's a complicated. But anyway, that to get yeah. back to the within league, there was some interesting. I believe it was a Doug McIntyre report about the Galaxy being interested in Ignacio Piatti. Mm-hmm. I don't think Piatti is necessarily long for Montreal, yeah. uh, which would be a mistake by the impact because he is an excellent player. Right. Uh, I mean, just he, kills the union every he, time oh, he's he comes a, he's, down. Yeah. He's a union killer. Um, <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah. Plug him in on the left. Move yeah. off out of the right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know how well he and Dochkal would mesh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you had him in Dochkal and Pico as your front four, uh, you would probably take Harris out of that and bring in an out and out holder mm-hmm. uh, because those four would be they, they would just, those not four a lot would be plenty yeah. and there would not be a lot of tracking back. <laughs> just you just could pin have, in your backs going to goal. I think you could have Bedoya in in with them. Yeah. Um, but again. Piatti doesn't necessarily fit a high-pressing style. Right. I don't think he's going to be a presser. And that's the other thing with Medugin is if, if Ernst Tanner is someone who follows the Bible of, of, of gigan pressing and you know high pressure, that's not Harris, I yeah. don't think, at thirty at 35 before next season starts. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one I mean, interesting who, option. Who, who else is available? I mean, I have to look through the list. Ev- I mean, everybody's available for the right price. Right. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> So who's available for free? Right. And so now as we go to the back of the store to the discount rack. <laughs> yeah. And who do you have? Which dented can will the union bring in? Flip side of that, who do you have that has value that you could make a move? Marcus Epps. CJ Sapong. Yeah. 
See, I, I, I like CJ Sabong. I, I don't see a huge place for him moving forward. And with the union now, I, I think he had his, his his career year was last year. That was yeah. the best you're ever going yeah. to get out of that player. Yeah. And I think I just from there's always a place for those guys yeah. in this league. He's a right, guy that but, can play two positions. He's a guy that is a big body. And he's, and he's a guy that will score goals. He's mm-hmm. a guy that works hard. So that there is room for that. I mean, every every soccer team that I've always played Absolutely. on has has a big guy that just bangs around a yes. little bit, and that's yeah. great. You need a guy like that. Great. See if you can get 150k from him from New England, because if they want to play that way, I think that if you, I think that, and this is nothing against CJ, because I think that he is a very valuable player. But if you're looking at this team and you're like, all right, attacking wise, how can we upgrade? Well, you've got Casper as your third star, third striker. Out goes Jay. If you take CJ out of the mix, then you have the ability to say Corey Burke and this guy that we're bringing in are one two. Fight it out for your jobs. Casper mm-hmm. is your third striker. Yeah. That's an easy way to. And then mm-hmm. you figure out the wing. You're still going to have Epps. Uh, you know, you got to find a way to get Fontana minutes. You got to find a way to get Brendan Aronson minutes. Yeah. T- well, tell him I mean, to pull out yeah. wide. Well, I mean, I think I was going to kind of get to that with those two guys, Fontana and Aronson. With, have we mentioned every guy on the team's just name? Just about. With Harris, you know, being John McCarthy. Thank you. <laughs> with Harris being <laughs> uh, well on the other side of thirty by training camp, he'll be thirty-five the first and, week of the season, and just you know, looking dog tired, and you you pretty much can't get. I don't think you should try to get more than thirty games out of him if you keep him around. Not not. The caveat being not as not as a pure number six. No, no. If you're gonna, if you're gonna put him, if you're gonna put him and Bedoya's co eights in front of a six and like yeah. a three five two, sure, go for it. Yeah, well, you could do that, but there will be then that's where your minutes for hopefully for Jones and uh, what was the Jersey kid Edinson Aronson Aronson sorry yeah. Aronson and and Fontana those that's where you could get minutes because even Bedoya's got I mean Bedoya's got a great engine but he he's. You know, edging and the it'll other side. Thir- I think it'll be thirty-two. Yeah, thirty-two. So. I also, I also think if you were to go to three-five-two, this this podcast is now sponsored by, by the three-five-two. Three, yeah. uh, if you were to go to a three-five-two, I think those two midfield roles in front of an out-and-out number six. I think that is the role that I see Fontana in because I don't mm-hmm. think he's an out-and-out number ten. And no, I mean, just talking. He's an eight. Or, he's an eight. I mean, just yeah. talk, I remember asking Jim early in the season, like, where do you think? Besides a ten, you could get him minutes. It's an eight. He's an eight. He could be a ten, but he's not an MLS ten because MLS tens are you know Miguel Almiron and uh, Luciano Acosta and Kaku and Boric Dolchkow. He's not that. I don't think he's ever going to be that. Yeah, but I think he can be a. I think he can be an MLS eight. Absolutely, just like Kellen Acosta is. Kellen Acosta is not an MLS ten, but he's a very good, you know, center box to box guy. And I think Jim regretted it when he said it, but he used the name Frank Lampard when talking about Fontana. So he. I think conceptually he envisions him that type of player, a guy that can follow follow the play and be kind of a late runner into the box, and that's where he can create and be. I'd be satisfied if he was a Steve Sidwell. <laughs> sure. Reading FC guy. There you go. Came through our system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there were tears. That's twice, he, that's twice I got to mention There were Redding tears today. when he left the Majeski Stadium. Yeah. Dude, it, oh, it was terrible. I, I was that. so frustrated. But he, he, went he went to Chelsea. To Chelsea he yeah. went to Chelsea and never played. He, no, and, he then, and then we got relegated. He, the next he, season. Not only did he never play, he almost killed uh, David Beckham in an exhibition game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he did get, did, did he get England caps at that point? He might have. He might have been. He probably yeah. might have been like a fringe. I like watching him for Reading when they were in the Premier League. I did too. Hey. He might have been like a fringe England 
call up, but, but like, we, gr- like, we digress. Like that, <laughs> like that Wayne Rooney fellow for DC. Yes. He's kind of on the fringe of the. I heard he's up. finally got a call up. Yeah, good, up for yeah. good, uh, good, good, good for him. Good for him. Young uh, kid like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Young lad. To lighten the mood. I have a question for somebody named Adam Can. <laughs> Uh, who, who does he work for? Right. And Never he asks me and Mike, I assume, if we both had to agree on a single Bruce Springsteen song to play, which one would it be? I really want to know this answer to this. <laughs> Adam can Single Bruce Springsteen? For what situation? I, <laughs> There's so many well, that's between you of... and your. That's between you and your God, I think. Oh. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really hard question. There's so uh, many Bruce Springsteen songs. I, you know, I like Jungle Lamp because it's kind of a longer, proggy kind of song. I mean, so we're, I like. we're talking to Union. I gotta go with "I'm Going Down." Ooh, Ooh. this is Ooh. time to point out that uh, I've or, seen or, or the river, maybe that would be the river. Yeah. The river is a good one too. <laughs> is this I, the that t- was actually the one I thought. Of. Is this the time I uh, to point out that I've seen Springsteen in concert eleven times and no. have many thoughts on this? Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, I did hear. So, you, when you I was dri- so when I was driving to uh, Yankee Stadium on Sunday. Q104 did play Jungle Land, and I caught oh, the go. very beginning uh, of it, and I was like, this could be a good day, <laughs> and it wasn't for the Union. Jeez. Um, uh, One, it, it, does it have to be Union-related? No, no, it could be any, you know, just your... Yeah, you know, nice day walking. Down, you know, I mean, the, the one song that I haven't seen him play in concert that I really want to, and I've been very fortunate to see a lot of songs in concert, never seen him play For You. Okay. So that would be the one that's on my a little in deeper concert, cut, a little deeper in concert cut. Okay. bucket list. There you go. All right. So I hope this Adam Can kid is happy with it. <laughs> I didn't know Springsteen got to Texas. <laughs> that's central Texas. Yeah. The, the, the airwaves, the, the, the frequency kind of you know, starts decaying when it gets to Texas. Literally yeah. listen on Radio Nowhere. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Mexican radio. Yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry. The, the, you know, the seriousness, seriousness of the podcast, I, I'm sorry, I did, you know. Knocked it off the rails. We can do a whole Springsteen related podcast if we want to. We've digress. talked about doing kind of music yeah, podcast just I'm, because. I'm, I'm in. Um. So okay, so you know we've talked for a while now. Where's this all leave us ultimately? Out of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Another the year. Season, the season is still going, and we're not yeah. covering I mean, any more games. It's inter. I, the one thing that I've been thinking a lot about because I apparently have nothing else to think about is the difference in the perception of this season for people that have been on the ML on the union beat for a long time versus the perception of this season of national media, especially the MLS types, yeah. and how much praise and even you know people that are regional, um, how much praise people have heaped on Jim Curtin yeah. because of the job he's done with the limited resources that he has. And I'm trying to figure out where that disconnect is. And I think part of it is that, you know, internally you look at it as, well, the Union have made the playoffs three times in nine seasons. Externally, you can easily look at it as the Union have made the playoffs two out of the last three seasons. And I was told by a reliable source who is Jim Curtin that I can make the numbers tell whatever story I want. (laughs) Um, So it's just interesting to see that gulf. And I don't know. I don't know if that means that – our view is unduly covered, uh, unduly colored by some and of the fan anger that we are kind of in, I think, I, imbibing. I, I, I every think we're day. so we're so close to it, and yeah. we know the Mike brought up the culture of the team and where it's led us to this point. You say those, you know, those three playoff appearances, no wins, one home game, uh, three goals. Yeah, you know, they lost. Goal. They lost all three of them by three, three one, one scores. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so first on aggregate. Yeah, so. We know again. You could counter, or you can make a counter argument to anything. He also gave this. up goals in the first fifteen. And, minutes I, and I think, and I think, people, and I, I count myself in this. People honestly like Jim, whether 
and on the I think on the national level, and you know I think people in this room we we as we've all talked to him off the record. He's a real charming guy, he's a funny guy, and all of that. And I think on a person on a personal level, we all like Jim, and I think people in the national media pick up on that, and I, and, and I, I think they know the smarter ones know what he faces mm-hmm. with this team. And we've, I mean, it's well documented, just the, the lack of resources. So to see him eke out even for the national media, to see him even eke out the success he's done, they see that as a pretty solid achievement. And beyond just liking him as an individual, you do have to have a certain level of respect for uh the job that he's done with the limited resources that he's been given. But at some point, the question has to be asked that, you know, it's about results. Yeah. Jim is very fond of saying that and not in a not in a self-aggrandizing way and not in a dismissive way, but in a real earnest way, not an earnest way, but an earnest way <laughs> of the results matter and the results tell a story. And that's what he is. And what he is as a coach is 0-5 in big games. And I don't think that... Any of those games are necessarily you look at and be like, that's completely his fault. I think the decision to start Warren Craval in New York in the playoff game was absolutely the right decision. It backfired. But at some point, you know, when your team comes out and lays an egg three times in three big games, whether or not they are one right after the other, but when they give up goals in the first 10 minutes of three games like that, when they are down by an aggregate score of, what, seven to one at halftime? In these three games, the three games that are like these are the games that matter, you have to start wondering if there's something missing there. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's missing is that next level of expectation of not just like what Mike talked about is not just getting in the playoffs, not just get – which again, getting in the playoffs is the – in a team where – in a league where six of 11 teams get there is the absolute base level of competence is that expectation to then – be part of what takes the team to the next level. And if Curtin is the one that gets them to be motivated on a Tuesday night against Richmond or on that really great win over Red Bulls in the Open Cup, why is he not the one that failed to motivate them in Houston? Mm -hmm. You know, is it the player's fault or is it the player's credit? And I think it's difficult to suss out what exactly that is, and I think that's relevant for what his future with the club is. I want to go back. I know I've talked about culture a lot too, and I think it extends beyond even the, the the team on the field and the organization. If you've been around this club for a long time, like all three of us have, we've seen waves come and go. But I think even this year, where the team has played really attractive soccer, where they've had good results, where they have uh, you know a superstar player as close as they've come with with a guy like Dushkel, the Suns of Ben can't sell out their stand. The, the stadium has a flat atmosphere all of the time. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of a game that had a good atmosphere this season. I, there were a couple that like, had like better, okay atmospheres. Yeah, but nothing like we've seen in the past. Because when that stadium is packed and it's full with really smart soccer fans, which there are in this area, it's a very difficult place to come to. Even, even, the, even the two Open Cup finals, which were not full, which yeah. were about 14,000, yeah. were some of the loudest soccer environments yeah. I've ever been in. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I go back to the, the, the next-to-last game against the Red Bulls at Talon where the Red Bulls brought a couple hundred fans. I could hear them more than yeah. I could hear the Sons of Ben for the mm-hmm. whole game. The, the fan base never felt sure about that game. And I think that's the culture that is permeating around this club. And I, I don't know 
how to change that exactly. But that that's the th- it, it all needs to, to turn around. Uh, and I always talk about this goal, and because I think the potential's there for this team, the, the atmosphere to be like that was the Cleberson goal, was mm-hmm. the loudest I've ever heard that stadium, one of the loudest stadiums I've ever heard. You know, I've been the Eagles games in the vet and all mm-hmm. that, and, 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 you know, seen big Phillies games and been the Flyers where it gets really loud, and that was ear splitting. But loud. even but and, even and, that and, was but even that was in spite of the union's best efforts because some because circumstance had to get a crowbar <laughs> to to have Hackworth you know get Cleberson off the bench for <laughs> right. the first time in four months and then he does that right right but I digress but, but yeah okay yeah. not still mad about but it, it was and I was in the press box and the press box swayed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just the reaction of the field and of the stadium and so it's there and and. You talk about the culture, and you say they're smart fans. Philadelphia fans are generally smart, and they know when they're getting fed a line. And I, I, I think whether it's true or not, I think a lot of Union fans felt like they were getting fed a line from the team. And, yeah. and we're going to do this, and we're going to be better. At the, but they go there, they see what's on the field. And, and, and you know, we'll talk about the location. I mean, Matt did a great article about the whole Chester situation and all that. And if you haven't read, I totally recommend a two, three, three part. And, um, just the challenges inherent to getting people to Chester to watch a soccer game. And the first couple of years, it was fine because they were winning and they were new and they were kind of exciting and they get them in the playoffs. Da, da, da. But that, you know, that newness wears off. And that fact that great feeling of, Hey, we finally got a soccer team that all wears off. And, this is what you have. Yeah, and I think it should be concerning for everyone at this organization, at the union organization, that even though that the team was considerably better this year, you didn't bring anybody back. I think we, you know, we've seen it on Philly soccer page, and you guys, I'm sure, get these comments on Twitter that that people gave up last season or the mm-hmm. season before that. They didn't renew their season tickets. Yeah. They changed their ticket plans. They come to less games. They watch less games. And even when you've had a successful year. You know, by union standards this year, you didn't win anybody back. You, the, the the stadium was the same on the last day of the season as it was on the first day of the season. Yeah, and the, and that's just I think part psychology and part economics is that there's a lag in these things. We saw it with the Phillies this year when they were good. It took a while for the fans to come back, and they still haven't really come back. And are they going to come back next year? Yeah, if they see something good brewing. Yeah. And I think with the with the Sixers, with the Sixers are a little bit of a different uh, beast because of the cultish aspects of it um but you know it's just human nature and you know all those things the budgetary restrictions how much money sugarman has uh the fact that the stadiums in chester the public transit the, the all those kinds of things they are they are what they are and whoever is in charge of this franchise be it ernst tanner or the coach that ernst tanner decides to to hire has to work within those strictures and make the best of them and 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 i think Sometimes in the past, um, it's too much of, well, we did good for what we are. Yeah. When fans are, well, no, we want you to be good. Well, it's, Full it's, stop. Like you have to be a good team in MLS. And I think, I, I, again, on Twitter, I think with uh, Kevin Kincaid kind of got out of his, uh, you know, his Sixer world and Dane does with his presence in our soccer Twitter world. Just kidding, Kev. But, you know. He, well, the, the Mountaineers were off that day. <laughs> but, um just the the middle mid market mentality, which was the same mentality 
that the Phillies had from like 1985 to like 2000-ish or mid-aughts or whatever. And it was bunk when the Phillies were saying it because you are in Philadelphia. You are on the East Coast. You are on the 95 corridor. You are a top six media market. You are a top, you know, five, six metropolitan area. You are all of these things. You have all of this to mine, you know, all, all of these resources to mine where you're not, you know, Salt Lake City out on an island out in the middle, out in Utah. You're not some of these other teams, you know, that you, you have, you know, a built-in ravenous sports culture. You have all of these things and to not really take advantage of that is a problem. Yeah, and they didn't fix it until they built around a good generation of players, mm-hmm. which is maybe what the union are able to do now. Hopefully. We'll, we'll have yeah. to see. Yeah, at, at some I mean, point, in an open market, it's it's fundamentally different than what MLB is yeah. because Jimmy Rollins was never going to be lured by a contract to the Dominican Republic right. to play professionally there. So it's a little bit different, but maybe that's what yeah, they're no, onto, and maybe that's what that's maybe that's the game changer. For at, them. at some point, you, you got to figure out who your Rollins, Utley, and Howard are, and you got to say, okay, these are our guys, and we're going to make it happen around them, even if it's for three years instead of like six, seven years that it was with the yeah. Phillies, six, seven, eight years. I mean, it has to be for that. Yeah, just the sure. way, just because of the, the way our, yeah, just our the mechanics, works. the mechanics of MLS and all that. All right, I I'm think, just trying to figure out who the Greg Dobbs will be then. <laughs> uh, uh, Jose, uh, the Phillies. Uh, okay. So let's um let's wrap it up there. And we didn't mention Jake McGuire. He uh, had a good season yeah. at Steel. Yeah. We didn't we didn't mention the U.S. national team. There'll be plenty of time to do that. And oh, if they ever I don't, fu- I don't care at this point. I Hire a either. coach and I'll get interested again. Yeah, that, that, that that's the whole thing. It's it's such I like they, a, just, they just it release the players for the friendlies, and I'm like I don't I give don't, a damn it's about like any such of this. A, such a dead man walking situation with that team with with. Uh, with the coach they have right now, and it's like you know he's not going to get the job, but he's still got to run out of team it's, every couple it's months. It's just a placeholder. And, it's all and I mean, and, and yeah. you know us covering Ernie, we know how Ernie operates. He's going to do it when he's damn well ready, and yeah. not one moment before. And he's certainly not going to do it to please anybody but Ernie Stewart. It's like it's like you're supposed to be competing in a marathon, and you've got Dave Sarek in there, and he's just at the finish line running on a treadmill. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, so. Ah, uh, there we go. I want to thank Matt to George. Matt, please tell us where our loyal listeners can find you. All right. You can find me on DelcoTimes.com. Uh, you can, if you subscribe to The Athletic, uh, you can read uh, the pieces, mm-hmm. uh, which is has some great content from all over the soccer world and all over the sports world, uh, including a season recap where Dave and I hand out some best of and a couple of worst of awards. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at SportsDoctorMD. And just do what Mike does and mute me while I'm covering high school sports. <laughs> yes, or, or or not. If you're really into Delco sports, hey, you might. If or, you want you know to know what? what's going on in Delco swimming, I'm covering a lot of covering a lot of soccer for well, the next yeah, couple lot, weeks. So. A lot of high school, last classic soccer going on. <laughs> a lot of, all of that happening. So follow Dave, please. And Mike's out there on uh, you know where to soccer find me. Page. You know where soccer page, right. Right. video, blah, blah, and blah. we will. Uh, th- we might pop in with a special pod next week. I'll let you guys know and. Uh, uh, special. Ooh, very special. All uh, Bruce Springsteen. All Bruce Springsteen all the time. So I want to thank everybody for listening all season. We'll catch you soon.